Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Today, for Youth Takeover, I'm going to talk about keeping your edge. And my little example is a knife. There is a chef called Mosey, and he says that the value of a knife is in its sharpness. It's in relation to your Christianity. It's the value of your love for Jesus, your consistency to read the Bible and your passion for him. It's not about your childhood, not about your wealth, not about your family life, not about your job. It's your dedication to knowing him. So on the slide, we have a Japanese $800 knife. That's a lot of money. Um, (laughs) And then you have a $50 Aldi knife. Now, if the Japanese knife wasn't sharpened, then the Aldi knife that has been sharpened would be a lot more valuable and can slice through things much easier. And think of the knife as your Bible. Think of it as your tool to keep you um, in your relationship with Jesus, knowing him, keeping up to date, like Instagram, okay? (laughs) Um, And Daniel, I can't pronounce his last name, sorry, Um, (laughs) He says that, remember, it's never the knife's fault if you cut yourself. It's how you look after it. And so if we have our Bible and we don't use it, what's the point? Like, God's given us this Bible to keep us going. And my little example, another example, is we had a friend in Victoria. Still, He's still our friend, don't worry. Um, And he loved making salami. So he would have his knife connected to him. And every time he'd cut through pigs sorry, Um, which they're like very thick animals. So their bones and their marrow marrow are very dense. And so every time he'd want to cut through a pig, he'd get his knife and he'd sharpen it all the time. And so this prepared him for what he would cut through. This is like the Bible and the challenges that you go through. The Bible doesn't promise an easy run, but it promises help. So we've got to keep the Bible on us and always pray and always read the Bible. But... Then he gets to the next pig and he goes again. And he's always sharpening his knife throughout the whole process. Because in life, I think as Christians, we get too settled. And I feel like there's people today that have misunderstood the Bible and kind of been like, oh, yeah, it's like a tool that I can use, but I just won't. And we just come to church and we just tick the boxes. Now, I'm not here to offend anyone. In my notes, it says be kind. Um, (laughs) But it is my nature to just just say things as it is. Thank you, Mum. Um, (laughs) But I think today we need to... Yes, we're all 17 and then Levi's going to be preaching and he's a bit younger than than Lockie myself. But don't be, be like, held back by the fact that we're we're speaking to you and we're giving you our young advice. Um, Because we are young, but we are very passionate about God and about everyone here. And as you could tell by, like, the praise and worship, it was just incredible. That was a side note. My bad. Um, (laughs) So the two-edged sword, it talks about that in the Bible. But guess what's sharper than a two-edged sword? The Bible. And guess who made the Bible? God. (laughs) Guess who made you? God. So if you read the Bible, the the sharpest weapon in the world, then Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. In a pig. 
It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So we just got to go back to the basics. Just read your Bible. You might be really mature in your faith and you read the Bible every day, but then you just close the book and that's it. I, as a 17-year-old, I want to encourage you to read the Bible, read those words and close it, yes, but then go and actually implement that into your life. Don't just, don't just let it be another book on the shelf that makes you feel really smart. I'm guilty of that. Not with my Bible, but every other book. <laughs> I'm, I like my movies. <laughs> so 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-bred and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's not just a book. It's living. It's here to be used. And, yeah, again, not just to sit on a shelf. So I searched up on Google... Put your hands up if you know Google. Great. And I searched up what is the most powerful tool in the world and Google said it's your brain. That's pretty incredible because uh, Google's like this contemporary little thing that we created, but guess who created the brain? God. So the answer that followed that was that your brain is the most powerful tool. It's very flexible and adaptable. It helps you experience life and it stands behind the most fascinating breakthroughs of humankind. And in my notes it says, guess who manufactured this tool? God. The Bible is living and more powerful than our brain. It's like a hard copy version of God. So if our brain is more powerful than a sharp knife, but the sharp, sharp knife is what gets us through everything. Why don't we read it? We just kind of ignore it. Again, not here to offend anyone, but we do. So I used Google, Google again and searched up, why don't people read? And the top reason was lack of concentration. People who tend to get distracted often and easily will find it hard to really delve into a book and get lost in the images and ideas that reading can bring. Too much stress or anxiety in life can make reading a difficult and frustrating experience they want to justifiably avoid. As fathers, I'm not a father, obviously, but as fathers in the house or men um, with kids or a busy, busy job, uh, and lifestyle and sport, that can be very consuming, we do get distracted. And so I'd encourage you to remove the distractions or remove yourself. And so how do we fix this? Next slide. Don't watch the voice. Yeah. Or the block. My mum loves the block. Uh, we're removing that slowly uh, so she doesn't get ideas. Like, um, Or soccer, Macca, Premier League. Take a chill, mate. Um, but watch the repeats. Like through your lunch break when you've got time that you don't really have anything to do with. Like me, I do sit on my phone and talk to Lockie. It's a, it's a bad habit. But no. <laughs> um, but we just need to read our Bible. We need to prioritise God and getting to know God. And your to-do list, yep, repeat it each day. Remove the distractions and, yeah, prioritise it. So my 17-year-old advice with two minutes and 35 seconds to go is just read your Bible. Don't ignore it. <laughs> um, yeah, don't watch the voice. Remove the, 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 the distractions, sorry. And if you simply don't understand the Bible, pray about it or talk to someone, talk to Pastor Bron, talk to Pastor Daz or literally anyone here. Like everyone will have a little bit of advice that might just be perfect for you. So Luke 24, 45 
Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. God didn't make this hard copy version of himself for it not to be understood. Romans 15.4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so, so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Without the words of the Bible living in your brain, it's hard to comprehend, but the Bible is living. It's not just another book. And your brain is the most uh, powerful tool in the world, according to Google. You'll never be a sharp knife. And it doesn't matter where you're from, whether you're an Audi one or an $800 Japanese knife. The quality of your Christianity doesn't matter. It's like you just need a relationship with Jesus. And then you, you just need to keep keeping your edge. Keep sharpening your, sharpening your life with the Bible. And if you don't do that, you won't maintain your like the filling of Christ in you. And again, I don't want to be like hammering you guys with things to do, things not to do. But it's so important just to, to read the Bible, understand it, implement it and live it. Next one. Proverbs 2, 3 to 5. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Reading the Bible is mentioned in every single service. I am so sorry, but it's the basics. You can't skip it. I feel like we go to church and then that's it. The Bible is so incredible. And with 30 seconds left, hopefully this has inspired you to read the Bible. Um, because I'm pretty sure we all have one. They're not very expensive. If you want a pretty one, it is like a bit, bit more pricey. Um, but just try to read it every day and try to share that with everyone else. But thank you. Gonna invite Levi. G'day everyone. How you going? Good. Uh, I'm Levi, as Gabby said, and um, I'll be talking to you about honour today. So, um, just before we start, I'd like to thank Pastor Bron, Mel and Murray for letting me talk to you guys today. Um, and a special shout out to all the dads out there today. So, can we give them a round of applause, all the dads, all the, for Father's Day, um, especially my dad. I got, I got favouritism for my dad, but... Um, uh, he's a, he's uh, led me to where I am today, and I wouldn't be here without him. So thanks, Dad. Um, so just before we start, can I pray? Yeah. All right, please bow your heads and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity uh, to preach to these guys today. And I pray that when they leave, they use your word for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Since it's Father's Day, I'm going to start with honouring your parents. Now, for us youth guys, it's really important for us because sometimes we can be a little bit of some idiots, but, um, you know, getting it out there. Um, and we, as you guys, we're probably hard work. Um, I know I was hard work. Probably still am. But, um, but in the Bible, it says in Exodus 20:12. Honour your father and mother that your days may be long in the land of the Lord is giving you. Honouring our parents is what God has told us to do. It's not what, it's not what the, the page is telling us to do. It's what God's telling us to do. Um, and 
From day one, our parents have been with us ever since we were born. From the day that we were born, through the tough times, the hard times, the happy times, and the sad times. They've always been there for us. They haven't left. They've always been there for us. And, you know, some of us, that's where our parents have inspired us to be where we are today. Parents, carers, whoever may be. In the Bible, honouring our parents is one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. Honouring our parents, loving God, honouring our parents. So it's really important to honour your parents. And most of you guys, you probably are thinking, well, I'm already a parent, so I don't have to honour my parents. Well, I mean, is God not our father? Like, well, I think we have to honour our father in heaven. And... I don't think anybody could be more important than honouring our God. So this can, this can apply to more than just honouring our parents and God. This can be to our co-workers, our family, friends, our boss. Uh, you don't want to get fired. Um, <laughs> but um, so this can, doing this can look like repres- sorry, respecting people by listening and speaking kindly towards them. To them or even behind their back. You shouldn't be saying mean stuff about someone or behind their back when they're not listening because that's not, that's not honouring them. That's disrespecting them. So God had a different view, or Jesus, sorry, had a different view when he was on earth. He didn't have a negative view on people. He had a positive view. What we need to do as Christians is have the same view that Jesus did. Be like Jesus. Have a positive view on people, not, not a negative view. God didn't look at the Jesus. Sorry, Jesus didn't look at the sin and go, "Oh, I'm not. I'm not going near you. You're, you're going to stay there. I'm just going to go and hang out with my disciples." No, He went and healed people. He helped the sick. He helped the poor. During His Last Supper, Jesus honored people, especially the disciples. During His Last Supper, in John 13:4 to 6, He said, "So He got up from His meal." took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, personally, I wouldn't be washing my friends' feet when they entered my house or when they went to school. Like, I'd, I'd be staying clear of their feet. But, um, and, and Jesus was drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So what does honour look like? Honour looks like serving others. Honour looks like being there for someone when they're struggling. In the Bible, Jesus showed respect and honour, not just to the disciples, but to everybody. Now, sorry, where am I? So Jesus, Jesus on his time on earth showed honour and respect, right? As Christians, we should be doing the same. We should be being like Jesus in Matthew 4:19 it says, "Follow me and I'll make you fish, fishers of men." Now, these little acts of kindness that God showed us, we should be doing. For God to honor God, we should be being fishers of men and calling people to church. We shouldn't be like, "Oh, I'm going to stay away from you because you're a bit different." No, no, no. Come on. Do you want to come to church one week? Just just invite them one week. One question every week can be change their whole perspective and be like, Actually, what's this church he's talking about? What sh- I want to come here one time. 
See, see what he's going on about. And doing this can, I think, honours God because God has called us to be fishers of men and that, can, that one question can change their life. Now, in Newcastle, uh, my parents started a campus church um, and it was, the youth was very small to start with. Um, there's maybe like 10 people. Half of them were um, youth leaders. Um, <laughs> and, and I was like, no, nah, this needs to change. This, this, we can't have this. We need more people to come to Christ. So I looked at, I looked at school and going, some of these people need to come and see God because our school wasn't, wasn't very big on Christian Christianity. And um, so I'm like, we need to change that. So one week I'd ask people, Oh, do you want to come to church? Uh, youth, sorry. You want to come to youth? You want to come to youth? No, I don't want to come to youth. And I just keep on asking once a week, once a week. Have flyers out. I put flyers out. Started a uh, lunchtime uh, youth hang uh, where we just did little talks. That didn't work out. Um, <laughs> um, but one day, one day, I go up to him thinking, oh, I don't know about this. He said no every week. I'm going to go up one week. This is, this is my, I reckon this will do it. You want, to come to, you want to come to youth? Actually, I want to come to youth this week. And I was like, oh. He's like, yeah, I want to come to youth. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was not expecting that. And he's like one of the popular kids, so I'm like, uh, okay. So he's come to youth and we've got all these, we've got all these games set up. One of them's basketball. He loves basketball. And uh, as soon as he played basketball, he decided to come every week just because of basketball. But soon after that, it just wasn't just because of basketball. It was because God was in the place. Yeah. We were showing God through him. And after, after maybe a month or two, he, started, he actually started preaching. And, um, and he's now my best friend who's still at this church and um, he starts preaching at youth sometimes. And I'm like, just one question can change someone's perspective on things. One question can change their life. Bringing them to Jesus is just going to take one question. Let's do it. You know, this building isn't the church. We are. Us as a community are the church. If we go out as a community and invite people to church, just one question. Hey, do you want to come to church? That can change this church. This will, this will bring people to God. So when we go out, let's honour and respect others. Check up on them. See if they want to come to church one week. Invite them over. Let's just be really friendly as a church and a community to invite people to church. So as, as uh, Matthew 4.19 says, to be fishers of men. God has called us to be fishers of men. So let's, let's be fishers of men for this church and for God. All right, as time's running out, um, I'll just pray. So please bow your heads and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the sun and the rain. Thank you for all the fathers in here for Father's Day. Thank you for the opportunity to come to church today. And we thank you that we get the opportunity to hear Lockie and Gabby and I's word. And we get to come together to meet new and old friends. Lord, we pray that everyone here today will walk out knowing that you are with them 
and that I take every step with you and have faith in asking that simple question. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we just give another round of applause for Gabby and Levi? That's awesome. Um, I'm Lockie. I'm Daz and Bron's kid, um, Pastor Daz and Bron. And um, I know them as mum and dad. Uh, but um, I'm so grateful for my dad. He, he grew up in very different circumstances to me. Um, but he's just so incredible, um, so strong spiritually. I'd like to be clear, I've beat him in many arm wrestles now. Um, he is the weaker of the two. Size doesn't always matter, guys. Like, I know he's a unit, but it's all for show. Um, it is. But, you know, it works for mum, so. Um, works. Anyway, today I just want to talk about having faith in the trial. Faith in your trial. Um, but a trial is basically a situation or relationship that's tough. Uh, something going on in our lives that is becoming a bit hard to manage, uh, a bit overwhelming. And um, it can be external. It can be issues going on in the world. But it can also be battles we face within ourselves. Um, internal trials are not something to gloss over. They're extremely important. So I want to talk about having faith in the trial. Basically, um, I focus on these two guys in the Bible, Paul and Silas. They're legends. And um, basically, they're preaching to a bunch of people like I am now. And it doesn't make some of the people happy. So they throw them in prison for absolutely no reason. Disclaimer, don't throw me in prison, please. Um, But basically... They get thrown into prison for absolutely no reason, just a couple of angry people. And while they're in prison, something incredible happens. Basically, they decide to praise and sing to God, and an earthquake hits from God. Their prison doors flung wide open. And um, in the Roman times, if you're a prison guard and your prisoners are broken free, you get killed. So the prison guard goes down, and he's about to kill himself, and then something incredible happens. But... um. Let's jump into it. I pick up in Acts 16, verse 25 to 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. My first point, praise in God the trial. This is difficult because so often when we're going through a tough time, at least my first reaction is, God, what the heck? Like, I've been faithful. These guys were thrown into prison for no reason. I know my first prayer would not be, thank you, God, you're amazing. It would be, what the heck? This is not cool. And this is so often our first reaction when we're going through something. God, get me out of this. This is not cool. I've been faithful to you. And we turn inwardly, inwardly. But Paul and Silas shift their perspective. They shift their eyes to God and they say, no, we're in a trial, but we're going to praise. We're going to sing. Sometimes the best thing you can do in a time of trial is to praise God. 
You see, when Paul and Silas decided to stop complaining about what was going on in their lives and decide to praise, God sent an earthquake. God sends miracles when we decide to praise. But anyway, they praise an earthquake happens and the story continues. My second point is wait in the trial. Um, I was on school camp recently and I brought this Spider-Man costume. I didn't know what for at the time. I just thought it'd be fun. Yep, that was at the footy in Sydney with my mates. I'm looking pretty fresh, I reckon. But um, anyway, all us boys on school camp were sleeping in this classroom. We're all on the ground. It's pitch black and the teachers were in another room. I was like, I have this Spider-Man costume. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it. So um, basically it's 11.30 at night and I start jumping around like Spider-Man and like guys are lying there and I'll crawl up and be like, is the neighborhood safe or something weird like that? You know, weird teenage boy stuff. Anyway, I'm on this table in the classroom and I'm in this Spider-Man pose and everyone's like giggling and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on fire here. This is a funny one. And I'm in this Spider-Man pose and I'd been jumping off tables and stuff. So I'm about to go jump off this table into like a funny somersault or something. And as I leap, I just see the door handle twist. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> anyway, so I'm in midair and suddenly I see my science teacher, Mrs. Harvey, walk in. I'd like to be clear, Mrs. Harvey is such a beautiful, lovely woman, but when it's 11.30 at night, she's really scary. (laughs) So I'm in midair and she walks in and basically I'm going to show you exactly what I did. I just went limp, right? I'm sorry if you can't see me, but I just went limp. So I jump and in the somersault, I just, I'm dead. I go limp. And basically she looks around, she's spying out for what the heck is random sounds through the walls. And after about five minutes, she leaves. I don't know if she left because she thought I was genuinely sleeping. Oh, if I was just looking dead, she was like, this guy's got issues. <laughs> but, but I learned something really, really powerful. Sometimes the best thing you can do in a time of trial is to wait in the trial. Yeah, yeah. There it is. I should just leave now. But, but um, Paul and Silas, they do something similar. In Acts 26 to 16, 26 to 28, it says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are here. He said, you see, instead of taking the easy escape, Paul and Silas decided to wait. And what happens, they save a man's life. See, when I was on the ground lying there dead, I shifted my view from trying to escape to waiting. And that's what Paul and Silas do here. Instead of trying to escape, they wait and they save a man's life. But it doesn't stop here, right? They praise an earthquake comes. They wait, they save a man's life, right? At that point, I'm like, I'm on fire. Like, let's let's go leave the prison. We've done an incredible job for God. But no, they keep going. Finally, Paul and Silas teach us to act in the trial. 
29 to 31. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This part is powerful because we can't miss it. It's so easy to find a recent success and miss out on what God would have us do. You see, they not only shifted their perspective to praise and wait in the trial, but then they said, God, we're not done. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? Instead of thinking about themselves, they turned outwardly and acted for others. Um, recently, my family went through a tough time, um, especially my dad. Uh, it was a tough situation, and it was the first time in my life I'd genuinely been scared. Like, genuinely scared of what was happening, what could happen. And um, a few months into the whole situation, uh, I sit down with dad one morning, and um, he picks up his diary. And he, he reads to me, he'd been going through this massive thing and I'm paraphrasing, but basically he said, as much as I wouldn't wish any of this upon another person, I wouldn't have it stop because God has done incredible things in me through it. He's brought me closer. You see, my dad was in this trial. He was in this tough situation. It felt inescapable. It was the most painful moment of his life and he's been through a lot. But he shifted his perspective and said, God, what will you have me do? He said, instead of trying to get out of this, I'm going to wait and see what God wants to do in my life. You see, Paul and Silas teach us, praise in the trial, wait in the trial and act in the trial. They bring a man to God, they save his life and give him eternal joy. So why don't you close your eyes? I'm just going to pray. Dear God, thank you. But some of us are in a trial right now. And some of us, it's a bit too much. And we need an earthquake. We need an escape out of this, God, because it's too painful. But for many of us as well, God, we're saying, okay, I'm going through this or I will go through this. But God, help me not to think of escape. Help me not to think of what are you doing and shift, shift my eyes to you, God, and what you would have me do. We thank you, God. Encourage us, empower us, strengthen us to shift our perspective and chase you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.